0: Mark chapter 5, verse 21, please. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little girl lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him, and thronged or crowded him. Now, in between verse 24 and verse 35, this procession that's now headed to Jairus's house for his deathly sick daughter is interrupted. And Jesus is delayed. And verse 35 says, When he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. Yes, that's a good place to say amen. Verse 37. He says, And he permitted... No one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult, meaning an uproar. He saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came and he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him. And entered where the child was lying Then he took the child by the hand And said to her Talita Kume Which is translated Little girl I say to you Arise Immediately the little girl The girl arose and walked For she was twelve years of age And they were overcome With a great amazement But he commanded them strictly That no one should know it And said that Something should be given Her to eat I left off from a thought that God gave me last Sunday and didn't depart from me this week. Talking about this idea from the scripture, this context of living in the in-between. Point your hands in my direction. Let's help each other. Pray for me, would you? It would be a whole lot easier if God anoints me and us together. Father, I refuse to operate in the arm of the flesh if I have the Holy Spirit available to me. And God, I know it's Sunday, and I know it's a hot day, and I know there are other things going on, and there's some things that could steal our attention. Please help me, God. Keep me from being boring and a drudgery. And, oh, Lord, I pray that you'd help me, God, to be on target, anointed of the Holy Ghost. Somebody say amen. God, touch my mind, touch my voice, and touch my body. And touch us all together, Lord. We are of different ages in this room. We are, some of us, of different color, different culture, different economic background, different education, different uh, uh, skills, and different handicaps. But you, oh God, know all about us. And you can take one sermon and make it apply to all of us in the way we need it most. So I pray for the river of God to keep flowing. And I pray symbolically and spiritually all of us will get in and get under. In Jesus' name, amen. And thank you for being seated. Praise the Lord. I need to just bring you up to speed on what the Holy Spirit showed me is meant by this thought, living in the in-between. Just to recap briefly before we move on into where I left off last week. Living in the in-between can be the time that you unexpectedly lost your job. Some of you have. And the time you gain employment again. Living in the in-between can be that time and space where When you thought the marriage was secure, it might not have been perfect, but it's secure. And the spouse says, I've fallen out of love with you. I want my independence. I want a divorce. We'll keep it as congenial as possible, but I'm out of here. From that time, when you thought it was okay, to the time that you are going through the process and gaining recovery and healing... Living in the in-between for some can mean the time where you go to the doctor for a checkup or you go to the doctor after some uh, nagging, persisting physical ailment and the doctor runs a test and says, we've got to run some more. And we've got to take a biopsy and you're waiting and, and then you come back to the doctor's office and he, you can tell by his demeanor that he doesn't have favorable news. And he says, we found some stuff and uh, unfortunately, this is what's going to have to happen and it's going to be a process And from the time you hear that news to the time that you begin the process, go through it and get to the side of your healing and recovery, you are in the in-between. Some of you are there or some of you have been there. Living in the in-between can be the time that you face the death of a loved one, expected or unexpected death, and your whole world crumbles And you think there's no reason to go on living because my husband's gone or my wife is gone or my mother, my father or best friend's gone. And and you are into this stage of grieving and mourning and hurting and crying. And you think that that your world is absolutely irreparable. From that time to the time that you trust God and serve God and cry a little bit more and rejoice a little bit until the time you get healing is the in-between. And on and on it goes. I think you get the idea. From the time you prayed to God and God made you a promise that He was going to give you a miracle and it didn't happen the next day or the next week or the next month, you are in the (laughs) in-between. And while you're there, you're wondering, God, am I going to survive? I I say that to you because I I have a question from the Holy Spirit that encompasses this thing about what is it like living in the in-between? And a follow-up question is, what lessons can we learn from living in the in-between? Because without exception, every one of us here this morning is living in the in-between of some season of our life. Without exception, some of you are living in the in-between of a time when you have debt and you have compounded debt. Some of it maybe you, you caused and some of it just came on without your uh, having anything to do with it. And you're living, oh God, I'm burdened down with death. I'm trying to pay it off from the time I become debt free. That, that may be some of you. Some of you are in the in-between, all of us I should say. All of us are in the in-between from the day we were born to the day we're going to die. Give me another amen somebody. And there's stuff happening in the in-between. Others of us are in the in-between of the time where you're working, but you're moving towards retirement. And you are in the in-between thinking that I thought I could retire in six years or eight years or 65 or 68, but the economy has shifted. The interest rate on the 401k has shifted. The money market, all the the things I was expecting has not happened. And now the in-between is going to be longer from the time I have to keep working until I retire. All of us are someplace there. I say that because... Excuse me, I need you to understand that we all are living between the time of the cross of Jesus and the coming of Jesus again. All of us are living in the in-between of the time that Jesus died on Calvary and gave us a choice to either serve Him and have eternal life in heaven... Or to deny Him and to miss heaven. All of us are living in the in-between of what will be a future judgment for some and a future reward for others. And again, I don't want to belabor this except to tell you that there are lessons from Scripture and from life experiences when living in the in-between. I'll give you the first of which I gave you last week. And it is this reality. Sometimes, while you're living in the in-between, things can get worse Before it gets better. It is the account of Jairus. From which I get this lesson. Because in verse 35. It's on the screen and it's in your Bible. The Bible says. That between the time that Jairus. The ruler of the synagogue. A prominent man in the community. Comes to find where Jesus is. And ask him. To come and heal his daughter. And the time that. Jesus actually makes it to Jairus' house to minister to his daughter. Scripture says while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? It's a no-brainer, but I'm going to ask you anyhow so I can create a thought. How many of you know that it does not get any worse than death? Say Amen. These words that fell on Jairus's ear while he was anticipating hope were words that numbed his emotions. Your daughter is dead. It got worse. I'm going to ask you this question. Are there similar words ringing in your ears over something that has died in your life? You're striving to keep the marriage going, and a voice says, your marriage is dead. Why pray anymore for your marriage? Are there some things the devil says is dead in your life? Your ministry is dead. Some of you have been called to ministry, not necessarily pulpit ministry, and it may even be that. But a ministry of music, a ministry of teaching, a ministry of intercession, a ministry of, uh, of other kinds of ways and, 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 and opportunities to be used of God. And, and the devil says, your ministry is dead, why try anymore? There's a voice that says, "In you're trying while you're living, in in between, the, the voice says, you, your gifts and talents are dead. So quit preparing yourself to use your gift and talents. There are other people more talented, more gifted, and have more opportunity than you, and if you have to get in that line, it's over. It's dead. Your dreams are dead, the voice says. Why dream anymore? Your health is dead. Oh, the doctors can buy you a few weeks and a few months and maybe some therapy, and all, but basically it's dead. So go ahead to the funeral home, choose your casket and your color and your arrangement of service because you're dead. That's, that's what the devil says. There the, are the other voices, and, and, and some of them say your future is dead. So just, just stay where you are, you're not going anywhere. And, and yet I say all that to tell you, those dreaded words mean absolutely nothing to Jesus. That's a good place to say amen. Jesus never gives up on the dead. I want to say further that God can raise up what we think is dead in our lives. Say amen. And what God is calling us to is a place of faith where our faith extends beyond the point of death. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And you'll find out that just because it goes from bad to worse doesn't mean that God is finished with you. Let me refresh your memory. From last week I told you that God is often silent in this place of in-between. And I built it on these two thoughts. The first thought I told you last week was sometimes God may be doing His greatest work in His apparent silence. You know, oftentimes we talk too much. (laughs) Well, I'll say amen for myself. Oftentimes we just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and we're saying the same thing all the time. And God says, I heard that and I know where you are, but I'm not choosing to work right now, so just be still and know that I am God. Just just because God is silent, here's another thought I built on with you last week, God's silence doesn't mean His absence. That's what happened at the cross of Calvary when Jesus cried out to the Father, and when he when he cried out uh, My God, my God, have mercy on me, and when and my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God didn't interrupt the crucifixion because God was doing his greatest work to save your soul and mine when it appeared that God was silent. And just because God is silent and you can't hear him, doesn't mean he moved to Canada or Mexico. He's there too. Just because God is silent and He doesn't talk to you like the way you want to be uh, entertained by God doesn't mean that God's ear is deaf, His eye is dim. He has got His social security card and collecting pension somewhere on Hallelujah Avenue in a retirement home. I'm telling you, God's silence doesn't mean His absence. And what He wants you to do in the in-between is to keep on pressing on i, I got to move on. I told you last week just to get you up to speed that, that God may be allowing you to be in the place of the in-between. You see, in this process of getting me from where I am, as I pray to God, to where I need to be in the fullness of His power. In this process of getting you from where you are at this level of your job and your income, so you could get to the next level of a job and get a better income. In this process of you getting your high school graduation diploma, so you can move on and improve yourself and maybe go to junior college and college and get another diploma there 's a process going on, and sometimes it can be difficult and trying sometimes you know when you, when you when you are serving God and praying and tithing. And reading your Bible and coming to church and forgiving people and tolerating junk and and just uh, trying your best. I mean, sometimes the closer you try to get to God, the more the devil shows up like a flood, doesn't he? And, And, you know, sometimes God just allows that because along the way, He wants to perfect us. Can I get an amen here? I mean God sometimes when I've asked him for some things he hadn't answered right away but he has told me I'm trying to get some of the uh, murkiness out of your life. I'm trying to get some of the uh, the debris out of your junk. I I'm, I'm trying I'm trying to perfect you Alan, so I can take you. I'm trying to get some of the drudge and and the scum of of the impurity out of your life so I can take you to another level and and sometimes God may allow you at that place because he's doing a preparatory kind of work. Can I get another amen here? You see, see here in America, we we got people who got this mindset that they don't want to go and get a minimum wage job in a recession. They're waiting somewhere to get a 15 to 20 dollar an hour job because they, they, everybody in America or many people in America want to be the chief and nobody wants to be the Indian. And I am the Indian. We got this mentality in America just because, and I'm not against anybody, I don't have an agenda against anybody, I'm just telling you where, where you are and why you're there, if you're there, and what might be going on. I think it's marvelous that we can put uh, applications online on the computer and apply at different places for job, but you know something else that God sometimes might want you to do is to go door to door and knock and show up and say, I, I put an application, but this is my name, this is who I am, and I'm still want, I want you to meet me, I, I want you to know that I'm really interested in getting this job. Good job. Okay? The process is preparation. You see, I want you to understand that God is not going to entrust you or I with any extra blessings if we are going to abuse it or use it for ourselves and He gets no glory. God's not going to move us from this place in the in-between to the next place if all we're going to do is consume His blessings upon ourselves and only serve Him because we want something from Him. So God is preparing and perfecting and sometimes while we are in in between God puts us there because because He wants to purify us. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, you know, we can't ex- we cannot expect for the world to entrust us responsibilities that we're not prepared to carry. Nor can we expect God to give us blessings if we haven't stayed true through the storms. I, I have discovered in life, and I want you to show you what the Holy Spirit has shown me, that the presence of problems... It's not always an indication that we are not in God's will. Andre Crouch wrote a song years ago that says, If I didn't have a problem, I wouldn't know that God could solve them. And I wouldn't know what faith in God could do. Matter of fact, let me me throw this at you. Sometimes the presence of a problem is an indication that you are in God's will. Because if the devil already had you where he wanted you, he would not be nagging you about your faith and your trust and your praying and your going to church. Sometimes you have to understand that God allows storms and trials and difficulties. Look at the life of Job. Look at the disciples on the Sea of Galilee when they got in a storm. Look at other situations. Paul's thorn in the flesh when he prayed three different times for God to take away the thorn from his flesh. And the Lord says, I'm not going to do it. but my grace is sufficient for you and my strength is made perfect in weakness. Somebody put your hands together and thank the Lord. Now, here's where I pick it up from last week. The temptation to doubt God and to quit becomes stronger while you're living in the in-between. In this place of praying for a miracle and waiting on it, praying for your husband to get saved, And he gets worse. Praying for your family member to beat drugs and alcohol or sexual addictions. And they get worse. In this place of, of waiting to move to another level of employment or another place of favor. Satan shows up. And he tries to get you to doubt God. And to give up on the dream. And he'll say something like, if God really loved you, why is he allowing this to come in your life? I have had places in ministry, even though I've served God and seen his experience, but the devil has told me, you're not even saved. I'm telling you, don't just happen out there in the pew. I have, I have come to the prayer line to pray with people and lay hands on them and anoint them because they're going through life storms. Just about the time I'm ready to lay my hands on them and pray for them as a servant of God, the devil says, You ain't got no anointing. You ain't got no power. I have been through dry, desert, wilderness places in my ministry where I have known, I've examined and examined, and I couldn't find any known sin, but I I couldn't get it to rain and feel the river of life flowing in me. And the devil says, It ain't real. There isn't a one of us who've been saved for any length of time where the devil says you haven't been saved. And not only only does does the devil show up in the in-between of our lives causing us to doubt. We don't just doubt God. Sometimes we doubt ourselves. The devil says you're demon possessed. And you're not even anywhere close to it. The devil says if God loved you, then he'd show up and help you. And Jairus must have had some doubt going on in his life because we come to understand that things got from bad to worse. But before I cover him this again, let me, let me just remind you, the last Sunday I told you that Moses went to Pharaoh to ask the Pharaoh to let the people of God go from slavery. And the initial request was, go to Pharaoh and tell him, I want my people... To go out in the wilderness for a three day excursion to worship me and to pray to me. And so Moses does that, and Pharaoh, as I told you last week, says, Oh, you want to take all these people who are building my pyramids and building my palace and plowing my field and taking care of my livestock and building bricks out of straw and clay and building up my empire. You want to take them three days journey in the desert to worship your God. Pharaoh says, by the way, who is your God that I should obey him? And who are you, Moses, that I should listen to you? Isn't that what happened? And the Bible says that Pharaoh intensified the affliction and the workload of the children of God because Pharaoh says, It appears to me that you all have a lot of time on your hand, you Israelite slaves. Therefore, I am going to instruct that you get your own straw and make your bricks. Before now, the Egyptians got the straw and the Hebrews made the bricks. But you get your own straw, you travel all over Egypt, you make the bricks and make sure you don't come one brick short of the quota because if you do, I'm going to make your life miserable. And Moses is thinking, oh my God. He ain't only thinking, look at what he says. Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you've sent me? I was minding my own business, God. Tending the sheep of my father-in-law, Jethro, for 40 years. And every once in a while, I take one of my father-in-law's sheep with his permission and have a barbecue and have some roast lamb. And you interrupted my quiet life to go to Pharaoh. And now I get there, and not only does Pharaoh hate me, but everybody in the ghettos. The slaves hate me. Why did you sin? Are you, ever, you ever had God tell you do something and it all capsize on you? I'm telling you out of experience, honey. I, I'm caught, people call me in to do marital counseling, come to their house. They're having a squabble between husband and wife and things are flying here, there and yon. Preacher, we got to have help. Man, I, I'm thinking, okay, God, you sent me. I got my preacher look and my preacher coat and my preacher Bible. And I'm going to that house. I got this this T-shirt covered by my outside shirt that says, Super Pastor, the man of the hour. Ring the doorbell going there. By the time I get in there and leave, I'm getting blamed for their fight. I'm the man that caused it all. I'm thinking, why did you send me, Lord? And so I've come up with another way to handle this. I'm sending Pastor Jeff to y'all's house. And after he gets to settle down, he can text me and say, it is well. Look at verse 23. Look on the screen. Moses said to God, for since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Have you ever doubted God? He doubted God. Jeremiah was called by God to preach to Israel in a time of their backslidden condition. Jeremiah was told by God, look, Jeremiah, I blessed these people, and they've forgotten the source of their blessing. I brought them from slavery and gave them a house to live in that they didn't build because I, the enemy was driven out of the houses, and I give them the enemy's houses, and they have forgotten me. Uh, listen, Jeremiah, you tell the people judgment is coming on them because I gave them wells of water to draw fresh water from, and they didn't even dig those wells, and I blessed them, and now they turned their back on me. You tell those people that I gave them vineyards and crops and fields. They didn't plow the fields, they didn't sow the ground. I gave them the fruit of the vine and the vine. And now they're turning their back on me and intermarrying pagan people and worshiping pagan gods. And I'm going to judge them. Jeremiah gets up and does the work of the Lord. And he says, Judgment is coming because of sin. And they don't want to hear judgment and sin, they want to hear party! Live it up. We, you know, yes, God did all that for us, but now we are self-sufficient. We don't need God. It's not unlike politically correct America. See, part of the problem in politically correct America is that we got many preachers who want to just soothe and stroke people. You send your money and your offering. We ain't gonna talk about sin. I'm gonna tell you something, brothers and sisters. I want you to understand that God did not allow His sinless Son to be crucified in shame and horror and and, and all kinds of, oh God, unpleasant suffering if hell wasn't real. I said it before, I say it again. Jesus did not suffer outside of Jerusalem's wall on Golgotha's hill so we could have a movie and be entertained. Hell is real, and judgment is real, and the soul that sinneth, it shall die. But whosoever believeth on the Lord Jesus Christ shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. Jeremiah preaches that. You know what they did to him? They tied him up at rope and threw him in a well and left him there to die. His name became Mud. For preaching the truth. And Jeremiah says, I don't know about this, Lord. Look at what he says in the in book by his name, Jeremiah 20. You tricked me, O Lord, and I was really fooled. You are stronger than I am, and you have defeated me. Lord, people never stop sneering and insulting me. You have let me announce only destruction and death. Your message has brought me nothing but insults and trouble. I'm saying that to tell you that even some of the mightiest men of God says, God, don't you care? Because that's how it can be, in the middle of your in-between. Jairus comes with Jesus to his house. Look on the screen, Mark 5. They went home with Jairus, Jesus, and his disciples, and the people were crying and making a lot of noise. Then Jesus went inside and says, Why are you crying and carrying on like this? The child isn't dead. She's just asleep. But the people laughed at Jesus. Don't you imagine that Jairus got some doubt? Jesus, if that woman with the bleeding ulcer and hemorrhaging hadn't stopped you after I talked to you, because that's the in-between verses of 24 and 35, if that woman with 12 years of bleeding, uncontrolled blood didn't come and take your time and interrupt you so you could heal her, you'd have gotten to my daughter by now, and my daughter would have been alive. Don't you think Jairus, he might have doubted there? Because all the people were laughing and mocking and ridiculing. Look, let me say this. To you. I'm just doing some teaching, okay? It's, it's okay. We, we had good revival, but I'm the shepherd here. I got, I, I got a, ooh, I feel a hallelujah. I like shouting and going on, you know. But I, I also like to get right out right there where we live. Reverend Ziegler, you know, he preached our first services. And I, I told him in the first service, I love his preaching. He's, he's kid dynamite. You know that? Tasmanian devil of preachers. I saw him at the General Assembly in, in Orlando last week. And man, he didn't have to preach or do nothing. He just had to be there and be a part of the meeting. He had on a little white hat. Sports coat, open collar, little cane, walking around like little Lord (laughs) Fauntleroy. I like him, and I'll have him back. But I'm just a teacher right here this morning. (laughs) There's a dangerous situation that can arise when you're in the in-between. When you are in the in-between of your prayers being prayed and the answer coming, you might be tempted to take matters in your own hand. Like Abraham and Sarah did. You know why we have this Palestinian-Israel conflict today? You know why we have the conflict between the Jews and the Muslims? It's because Abraham and Sarah was told by God, I'm going to give you a son. And they both got up in the years and there was no son coming. No baby, nothing. Matter of fact, it was... When Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90 years old when that baby boy Isaac came. But before that time, they took matters in their own hands in between the promise and the fulfillment. And Sarah said to Abraham, my my womb is dried up and there's no fertility there. You can go and you have permission to go to my handmaiden Hagar and be intimate with her. And perhaps through her, God will give us the promise. And Ishmael was born, the father of the Palestinians. And we got a mess today. Saul in the in between. King Saul told by Samuel the prophet, Don't you go to battle, King Saul. Unless I show up before the troops and the people and build an altar and put the animal and slay them and offer a sacrifice to God to give us favor in fighting, don't you go to battle. Samuel was delayed in getting to Saul and in between the troops got restless. The enemy got closer. The battle got a little more, uh, the preparation for the battle's intensity uh, became to be very uh, knowledgeable. And Saul got a little fidgety and Samuel the prophet wasn't showing up. You see, it was Saul's job to be king. He wasn't called to be no prophet. Samuel was called to be the prophet. But the king took the role of the prophet and offered sacrifice and disobeyed God. And I don't have time to preach all this, but he took the matter in his own hand and consequently he lost his kingdom. Consequently, he lost his anointing. Consequently, he committed suicide and lost out with God. And the in-between place can be very dangerous. Let me tell you this. I know sometimes you can't see God or feel God or hear God. But I am gonna tell you one thing. I've had enough history with God to know that God is alive and that God loves me. And He's not obliged to work by my time or by my calendar. i just got to be still and trust. Him anyhow. Somebody praise Him here. (laughs) Hurry, hurry. point number five. God is in control even when we're not. I think that things got out of control at Jairus' house when Jesus showed up. Because the Bible says that the people ridiculed Jesus. Laughed at Him and mocked Him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are Jesus, but this girl is dead. Jesus said, no, she's not dead. She's asleep. And he laughed. Back then, they used to pay people to mourn. I'm going to tell you something. If I lost a child, you ain't going to have to pay nobody to mourn for me. Out of desperation, Jairus went to Jesus. Desperation. He was a ruling man. He was a man of prominence and authority in the community. Matter of fact, Jesus wasn't so popular back then. He was considered an a, a, a unauthorized teacher. He was not recognized by the synagogue and by the Jewish community and the Jewish faith. So... Out of his desperation, Jairus' little 12-year-old precious daughter is at the point of death. She is the apple of his eye. She is the seed of his fruit. She is the hope of his family. He don't care whether people like it or not. He runs from his town to where Jesus is and falls at the feet of Jesus and begs Jesus to come. And by the time Jesus gets there, everything's out of control. I like this. But when he put them all outside, (laughs) let me tell you something, God's going to give you your miracle in the in-between, but you're going to have to demonstrate faith. Yeah. All the doubting, crying, phony, make-believe, grumbling, complaining, no miracle people, you went through that whole house, how big it was? You go outside, you go outside, you go outside, you go outside, you go. Oh, my darling, daddy. Go outside and shut up. Little bit Alan Matura version. Bring me the mama, bring me the daddy, bring me the three disciples who are with me. I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters. God's not interested in doing work among people who want to doubt and analyze and criticize. Oh, it got out of control. But just like it was, when Jesus was on the stormy Sea of Galilee with his head on a pillow in the boat while the disciples were bailing out water because they were dying and drowning, Jesus was in control. Even when you can't figure him out, he's still in control. Even when you keep tithing and giving and your money's getting shorter and shorter in surplus and amount, he's still in control. Oh, I've got to hurry here, Jesus. Look at, look at this. God not only proves himself strong to you, but to the onlookers who are around you. When God shows up in the in-between of your life's pain, he shows up and he shows out, not because he has to show off, but as a testimony, not only to you, but others who might have doubted that What I did for him or her, if you'll trust me, I'll do it for your marriage, your children, your health, your job, and your finances. Look at verse 41 of our text. And he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talita, come which is just translated, little girl, I said to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked for she was 12 years of age and they were overcome with great amazement. I'm telling you, that some of the stuff you're going through, hear me. <laughs> Man, I'm tired. But I'm going to be okay. I just need a little bit more anointing, okay? Somebody say, help him, Jesus. I think that Florida heat and this bald head just hadn't connected. But I don't have just enough energy to get you from where you are to where you need to be. Listen to me. Oh, God. When God, sometimes when you are going through your valley of the shadow of death, God's got more than you in mind. Did you hear what I said? Sometimes when you're going through your dark night and your painful sh- place of suffering, God's got you in mind, but He got somebody else in mind who is watching your faith. And saying, oh God, if Lewis can make it through it, if Sylvia can make it through it, if Phil can make it through it, if any, if these brothers, if they can make it through their hell on earth with God, I can trust God. I think I'll just go back to church, go back to the altar, give my life to God, and get my heart and, right, heart and life right with Him. There are people looking on at your life and mine to see if the walk or match the talk yeah they're not interested in buying into anything that's just talk oh I feel a hallelujah and I got a last thought for you when you're living in the in between whether you feel God or not whether it takes a week a month a year you got to make up your mind like the old song says I have decided to follow Jesus no turning back no turning back Did you you hear what I said? Some days you don't feel like going to work, but it's something about having a paycheck that motivates you. Can I get another witness here? Some days you don't feel like taking three prescriptions to deal with this ailment in your body. But there's something about being healthy and being youthful that makes you take the prescription anyhow. Can I get an amen somebody? Uh, uh, Raising up children, they don't feel like eating zucchini and squash and okri and their relatives. But you want your children to have a balanced diet, not just candy and cookies and ice cream. So you go ahead and you insist that they clean their plate. I'm telling you that sometimes life gives you just some rough stuff and some bitter stuff, but you got to quit camping out in your misery and move forward. Paul, the apostle, had been to hell and back. There is nobody else in New Testament Scripture, to my knowledge, with the exception of Jesus maybe John on the Isle of Patmos that suffered more than Paul after he got saved. <laughs> you all hearing me? They ain't here for looks. They're here to build your faith. And you do look good too. L- listen to me. After he got saved, he was before he got saved, his name was Saul and he was killing Christians left and right. You know what the Bible says? He's going to wipe out this Jesus movement. Got papers, he lassoed people, drug them back to the, to the Jewish authority and said, let's kill this one. He stood by and held the coat of people who stoned Stephen to death. And God arrested him in the in-between. Oh, I feel like. I told you God's going to anoint me. I hope He does you. In the in-between of leaving Jerusalem to go to Damascus to kill some more people, God sent a light from heaven, knocked him off his horse, blinded him, and he got saved. And after he got saved, he writes in 1 Corinthians, he's been pelted with stones, been in prison, been in peril on the sea, in peril in the country, been in peril among robbers. His life has been threatened. He talks about he's had weariness and toil and death experiences, near death experiences, I should say. But here he is moving forward. Everybody read out loud with me on the count of three. Look at the screen. One, two, three, out loud. But this one thing I do, forgetting those louder that are behind and reaching forward to those things that I had, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. Listen to me. Israel could have made it from the Egyptian ghettos to the land of milk and honey in 40 days. It took them 40 years because they agreed to circle. Circles. Some of you are circling your pain, circling your misery, circling your prayer, circling your wounds and your hurts and pains. And just rehearsing it and nursing it and cursing it. Rehearsing it and nursing it. Somebody's got to get up and says, my past is behind me. My future is ahead of me. If God be for me, I don't care what the devil or hell has planned for me. I'm moving forward in the name. That's you stand up here saying not
1: going back. Stand up, stand up.
0: If you can only take one step, but you'll take more. Say, Pastor, I am not going to circle around my grief, my pain, and my sorrow, and my dreams and hope to come back to life. I am going to move forward. I'm going to keep reading my Bible. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep worshiping. I'm going to keep serving. I'm going to keep dreaming. I'm going to keep giving. I'm going to keep forgiving. And I'm going to keep loving. And I'm going to go forward. It's not my business to tell God what to do. It's my business to believe. The song is the prayer. Leave from where you are. Listen this. Some of you here this morning are in the in-between of eternal reward of heaven and the fires of judgment. And while I want to be happy and be very positive here, I'm telling you, if you're not born again by the blood of Jesus Christ, you need to give your heart to Jesus and move forward. There may be a few of you who used to be saved, but you're going back into a lifestyle that this book does not bless. And you got to come and say, God, I have done wrong. I knew it was right. i done wrong. I'm moving forward. Forgive me. If there are consequences I have to go through, help me through it. But I refuse to go to hell for anybody. I am going forward. So while you, others come forward today, maybe you need to rededicate. Maybe you need to break up a relationship. Maybe you need to break up some situation that's dragging you from God. And then others, you need to say, Lord, I'm moving forward in spite of the cancer. I'm moving forward in spite of the unemployment. I'm moving forward, oh God, in spite of the fact that I applied for the job and somebody else got it. I'm moving forward. So while they sing it again, leave from where you are, come on this altar, and once you get here, begin to praise him. And we're going to pray. Go ahead. Not going back. Hurry. Hurry. Raise your hand when you come. building and your mind can be outside and you could miss the miracle jesus don't have to put you out and i don't have to put you out for you to miss the miracle if you don't believe and trust god go ahead and press on you could be right here in the middle of power and not get an ounce of it you do what he says in spite of what the devil does Everyone in the altar, those who would agree in the the, the pews, raise your hands in an attitude of surrender and repeat this prayer after me. I'll say it first, you repeat it, and let's agree together. Lord Jesus, thank you for reminding me that you are there in the in-between. I confess, Lord, that there are times when I've doubted you. I've questioned you. Sometimes, Lord, I've taken matters in my own hands. Today, I surrender all. I surrender my attitudes and my actions. I present my body on your altar as a living sacrifice. Lord Jesus, everything in me that is unlike you, crucify it. Everything in me that is dead, that needs to come alive, resurrect it. Today Lord, I'm leaving my past behind and I'm moving forward. I refuse to live by my emotions alone or by what I see alone. But I'm going to live by faith in the Son of God. Who loved me and give Himself for me, Lord Jesus, you can count on me. Today, I am moving forward. Thank you for the power to move forward in Jesus' name. Amen. Put your hands together and clap your hands. You make all
1: new. raise your hand.
0: I yeah. A few more moments. Put your arm in mine. Along the way, in the in-between, I stumble and fall. Because I'm just me alone. And so God will send some other people, whether prayer, intercession, encouraging words, or just this. Like the four lepers who were outside the gate of Samaria when there was a famine in the land. That the people of God were locked into the walls of the city and the Syrian enemy was uh, a few hundred yards away getting ready for the weakest moment of the people of God in the walls to give up these four lepers were outside the walls they about dead Their flesh has fallen off they smell terrible they're outcast there's no food in the walls and they hope there's food down there where the enemy is and they thought to themselves listen we're going to die if we go in there. They won't even let us in the walls. If we go to the enemy, they're probably going to kill us, but maybe they'll give us something to eat. You know what the Bible says? They got up and they went arm in arm like this. And they started walking to the enemy's camp. Sure, death. But God caused their fumbling, feeble, feeble, stumbling, fumbling, leprous body to sound like the enemy, like Israel had hired mercenary troops. The enemy down there said, what are those chariots I hear? What are those weapons? Like? What are hoofbeats? I hear. It sounds like thousands of troops that the Israelites have hired to come and and fight us. And they left their tents, they left their weapons, they left their food, they left their horses, they left everything. And four leprous men got in and ate their belly full and went back and told the whole city. You don't know what you're praising God anyhow. Sounds like to the devil. And every once in a while, you need somebody to get you by the arm and say, Get out of that circle and that self pity party and march on. Take somebody by the hand. Take somebody by the hand. Come on. Raise up their hands. Come on. Take them by the hand and raise up their hand. Now pray for each other. Father, in Jesus' name. Oh God, come on. Tell the Lord you ain't walking alone. Tell the Lord you're going to carry your brother. You're going to carry your sister. Come on. God, I may be weak, but they'll help me. They may be weak, but I'll help them. God, I'm going to praise you. I may fumble, I may stumble, I may sound like I'm dying, but you will change my pain into praise. Come on, come on. God, I thank you that you're putting people in my life that will help me to make it in the in-between. I love you, Jesus. I love you. I will follow you. Go ahead. Oh, thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. on you individually and personally and time will not allow etc i'm telling you god the holy ghost has taken the video he doesn't need one This is a way we can understand every one of you standing here. You may not be seen by me or heard by me, but what's far more important is you're seen and heard by God. You didn't, heaven has recorded that even in your feeble footstep, and you didn't even want to come up here because you've been up here or elsewhere a hundred times for the same thing. You came on anyhow, and God has record in heaven that you, my friend, are going to go from the in-between to the possession. Go your way, everybody. God bless you. Sing it again as they go. I'm not going back.